Hi guys, welcome back to the show. So today we're going to spend some time talking all about emotional eating and just some strategies of creating an environment where we recognize emotional eating and that we're able to identify any of the stressors that's causing emotional eating and then what to do about it or some, you know, thoughts about how to manage it. So come join the show today. Come listen in. Welcome to the Whole Health Empowerment Project Podcast. This show is for busy mamas like you with the desire for better whole health balance, but you may be feeling overwhelmed and busy and really don't know where to start. Hi, I'm Trisha. I'm a registered dietitian and nutrition coach, and I'm here to walk you through the whole health journey so that you can begin to have more fulfillment in who you are meant to be. In this podcast, you'll learn practical tips to get you started, motivation to keep you inspired, and guest interviews that will empower you to take action. Come join me in failing forward one step at a time into the journey of health, wellness, and self-care. Welcome to your new project. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to remind you that if you feel like you need any additional support, I do private coaching. So if that's something that you think that you need right now, email me at info at Trisha RD, as in registered dietitian.com. When it comes to emotional eating, how many of us eat when we're upset or stressed or lonely or scared or bored or worried, or tired. Does that sound like you? For many of us, we may eat for comfort, or to help us get through uncomfortable situations, or maybe even just to avoid the feelings that we don't want to feel. Eating allows us to soothe ourselves, or suppress, or delay any of the emotions that we feel. Eating makes us, eating is often an easier way to make us feel better in the moment, when we're trying to handle our emotions. But typically after a few minutes, after we're done eating, there usually, for a lot of people, ends up coming with the shame and the guilt of, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? So today we're going to talk a little bit about why is it that eating makes us feel better, how we can protect our environment, our emotional environment, and then also our physical environment, and to set it up to support us with emotional eating. And just some strategies overall to figure out, you know, what is a non-food approach that we can do and that we can replace eating with when we feel like that we want to eat because that's an easier thing. That's what we've been doing for a long time. Why is it that eating makes us feel better? So we're going to talk a little bit about dopamine and how and why and how it makes us feel so good when we eat something. So dopamine is the neurotransmitter that is made in the brain. When we eat something that's so pleasurable, the brain releases dopamine, which triggers a feel-good response to that food that you ate. So think about if you've eaten something that is like a really good meal at a restaurant where you feel like, oh my God, I'm so happy right now. Or even like if you eat a brownie, cookie or something like that, and you feel really good. 
That's dopamine, right? So every time you eat those foods, your brain triggers a dopamine response, which is, you know, a reward center or a feel-good response signaling like some kind of pleasure. It's a pleasure response, dopamine. Typical foods that we crave are ones that are sweet or fatty or salty and have a really high calorie content, right? So most people aren't like, oh, I really want to emotionally eat broccoli. That's usually not how it goes. It's usually like something that's going to bring you such a sense of pleasure. When it comes to eating, typically you're eating a food that feels really great. And then you're going to get this like dopamine hit and this feeling and this like a reward for it. And then the hippocampus records the memory of the reward, right? And then you have this desire to keep revisiting the experience of eating the food that gave you that sense of pleasure. Eating and emotionally eating, I think a lot of us tend to think that we somehow had some poor sense of self-control or we lacked power or we lacked good judgment. But I want to remind you that there is a physiologic and biologic response to the dopamine hit that we are getting from eating the foods that make us feel really good. Initially, that feel-good sense may only last a few minutes after we eat the food. And then typically, shame and regret linger for a much longer period of time. But then what happens is, especially when it comes to emotional eating, that because we feel like the shame and guilt, we continue to eat those foods that continue to make us feel good. And then we keep repeating the cycle of overeating or emotional eating. Often we feel such guilt and shame about our behavior that when we eat those trigger foods, the cycle continues and the behavior continues. So there is this cycle of emotional eating that goes something like this. You may have a stress or some kind of trigger that is that sets you off. And then you reach for the food that is so comforting to you, whatever that may be. It feels good. You have that sense of feel good for just a couple minutes. And then the guilt and the shame and the feeling of powerlessness, it all comes to a head. And then to make that feeling better, we continue the cycle of having the trigger, eating the food, the feel good response. And so the cycle continues over and over again. The goal is this behavior is probably something that you've been doing for a long time and you may not even be aware that this is happening. You may not even be aware in the moment that you're that you're feeling this. And so one of the things that's really helpful when it comes to emotional eating is trying to identify if you're truly hunger or you're just having this emotional hunger. And so we're going to talk about some of the differences between that. When we talk about true hunger, typically you're going to know when you're truly hungry. It can manifest hunger in different ways. For some people, it may be like that you have these like hunger pangs. For some people, it might be like you start to get shaky. You might get grumbling in your belly. Most people probably know when they actually feel hungry when they get to that point. When you eat and you're truly hungry, you know, you may not, you'll probably get some sense of fullness from eating, but you won't typically have a sense of guilt. You may feel like 
oh my gosh, thank God I ate. I was so hungry and now I feel so much better. There's something called a hunger scale and the hunger scale is really helpful because basically what it is, is it's it's a scale from one to 10. And in that hunger scale, it, you know, one means that you're starving and 10 means that you're like so sick that you feel awful. And so the hunger scale can be used as a way to really start to recognize when you're hungry and when you're full. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to first address the emotional hunger and what that means. For emotional hunger, you may not really feel hungry. You may have some sense of feeling really great when you first eat a food that you're not hungry for that triggers this dopamine response. But afterwards, you may have this sense of like guilt and shame that you've eaten that food. Typically with emotional eating, there's probably not a cue to stop eating. You're just, maybe you're just doing it. You're probably just eating because there's an underlying emotion that you're trying to soothe or not pay attention to, or there's probably something bigger underneath going on underneath. For emotional hunger, sometimes that can be mindless. And as we've talked about, you may have this desire to eat high fat, high sugar foods that make you feel really good. But again, it's a temporary feeling. Emotional hunger can also be like, you know, I think some people we see and we smell some things that have these nostalgic memories from the past that have a deeper feeling or meaning for you. So for example, my grandmother would always have these like Entenmann chocolate covered donuts. I don't know if any of you remember them. So like you would eat the chocolate covered donut and the they were fully covered with chocolate. So the chocolate piece would like fall down as you're eating it. So whenever I see those donuts, I have a nostalgic response. It reminds me of my grandma and I want to eat them, but I'm not hungry. It's just because it's nostalgic and I have a good memory associated with those donuts. So start to think about some of those things that you may have in your life foods that aren't nostalgic. So you either see them or have a certain smell and they trigger something for you because some of that could be emotional eating. You may not even be hungry, but the simple thought of seeing them or smelling those foods make you feel like, Hey, I want to eat something because it feels good. And then lastly, with emotional hunger, typically your body doesn't want like true nutrition. It doesn't typically need to be fed because you're hungry. It's just more that your body is trying to get this hit of dopamine because it wants to have that feel good response that knows will happen if you eat the things that that trigger you like this high fat else. So the goal really is in this when it comes to emotional eater eating, it's trying to figure out what is true hunger and what is emotional hunger. So I've just given you kind of a list of how to identify that. But I think when it comes to true hunger, many of us don't really know that feeling is of being hungry or really being full. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that don't really know if they're full or even if they're hungry. And that is because most of us have done dieting or over-restricting for most of our lives as women. And so because of that, we don't really trust ourselves. We don't really have that confidence of knowing when we're hungry or full. So what we end up doing is eating before we're hungry or eating after we're full. So the hunger and fullness scale, you can 
email me. I can give you a copy of it if you want it, info at trishard.com. Or you can just go to the internet and type in the search bar like hunger and fullness scale and you'll see the scale that I'm talking about. So why this scale can be helpful as a tool, because it allows you to listen to more of what your body is telling you. And it kind of helps give you the confidence to know what you're feeling. And the hunger and fullness scale is a way of becoming more in tune with what your body needs right now versus based on a habit that you've been doing over time. The tool can be used as something to help you identify really what's going on in terms of emotional eating or if you're having a period of emotional eating. So when we, again, have this scale, like I said, it's a one to 10 scale with number one being starving and number 10 as being like you're super full. When it comes to the hunger and fullness of how you're feeling, basically what you do is you're starting somewhere in the scale of like you're starting to feel hungry. And then when you're looking at the scale, you're stopping somewhere where you are actually starting to feel full. So it's just a way that you're actually checking in with yourself and you're thinking like, am I hungry or am I not? And after you eat, trying to figure out like, are you satisfied or are you not satisfied and you need to continue to eat? So it's just a way to kind of bring awareness to how you're feeling at the time and to bring some mindfulness to the practice of eating. And then when it comes to emotional eating, this can be huge, this whole box of emotional eating, right? If emotional eating is something that is happening, you know, it's really trying to identify the root of the feeling so that you can really address that feeling so that in the long run, you're able to maintain your health changes. Because with emotional eating, it's not something, it's usually something that we've been doing a really long time. And it might not even be something that we're acutely aware that we're doing or that we feel, or maybe we're in a position that we're at work and we can't feel the things that we know we need to do. And so we eat because that makes us feel good in the moment. When it comes to emotional eating, we will talk a little bit about two different things. When it comes to environment, we're talking about the emotional environment that's happening in your brain and all the feelings that you have, and then just the physical environment. And with emotional eating, it's trying to create a plan to help protect you during both the emotional and the physical environment. So to protect you as much as possible so that you can, you know, decrease the amount of emotional eating that you're doing. Because we've talked about how you start the cycle of emotional eating, right? Once that cycle starts of like having the trigger food and then having that response that feels so good from eating that food, it's probably going to be very hard to stop eating because it's, you're feeling so good from it. So the idea is to really try to figure out a, if you're hungry and then B, if you're not hungry, what's the emotion going on here? So it's switching the focus from making food, the thing that makes you feel better to identifying a non-food way to help identify the underlying cause of what's really going on. So when we talk about emotional eating, the the ones that I hear the most, and gosh, there probably are so many more. I'm just going to name a few that are the most popular. 
would be like that you're feeling upset or you're really stressed or you're lonely or you're bored or you're tired. So instead of eating because you feel those things, it's trying to figure out other things that you can do that you can manage those symptoms so that you don't end up using food to make you feel better. For instance, if you're upset about something, try to figure out another way that you can deal with being upset that will give you a longer lasting feeling that can change you from being upset. Again, if you're eating when you're upset, you're only temporarily going to feel really good. And in the long run, you probably will end up feeling shame and guilt. So it's trying to really figure out some things that you can really feel like whatever you're upset about, you're able to really manage and sort through. So some non-food approaches that you can do to help manage that would be like, if you're at work, you know, when you don't have time to talk to your friends or family, when you know that probably makes you feel good. Maybe it's just as simple as like taking a minute and breathing and just refocusing because that's kind of what it is too. It's like to kind of get you out of that place where the cycle is going to continue. So it's just kind of giving you a minute of breathing space. So again, it could just be like taking a couple minutes and just breathing on your own it could be talking with your friends. It could be like, you know, you have a quote in your office or something that makes you like, that centers you and allows you to like, be like, okay, I got this. For me, I usually use like podcasts or Audible. I have like book chapters that I read. I love Untamed. That's like my favorite because it's like these five minute little jags in there where I can listen to it and just reminds me like, okay, I got this. So for you, you just have to figure out something that works for you, how to help manage that feeling of being upset. If you're stressed, find any activities that will make you feel better. That could be journaling or meditating or reading books or going for a walk, doing yoga. Again, it's going to be something that is unique to you. How somebody else deals with stress might be very different than how you deal with it. If you're lonely, because so many people are being you know, in lockdown for all these months, almost a year for a lot of us, try to figure out ways that you can combat that. So do you need to schedule a Zoom call with your friends or family? Do you need to sit down and journal those feelings? Again, it's to take the focus off of eating those feelings and really managing them and identifying them so that you can address it in the long term. If you're bored, you know, what can you do? Can you try something new? Can you connect with friends? And then if you're tired, that if you have that emotion, that's probably a lot of us, right? You're just trying to figure out a way that you can relax and you can actually feel that you're tired, whether that's reading a book or taking a walk or breathing or taking a bath, something just to kind of take the focus off the eating and actually focus on what is, what is truly going on. When it comes to emotional environment, there's other things that you, that can also be helpful. And that is When it comes to food, don't deprive yourself of the foods that you want. Eat them. Because what happens a lot of times is is that we could be like, I shouldn't eat that cookie. I shouldn't eat that cookie. I shouldn't eat that cookie. So then you're eating like a million other different foods so that you don't eat the cookie when in the long run, you probably end up eating the cookie anyway. So deprivation may cause some sense of overeating or it might even continue this cycle of emotional eating. So don't deprive yourself, but, you know, figure out first if you're actually hungry and just kind of have that acknowledgement of like, 
okay, I'm eating because I'm emotionally hungry. Because you don't want to have any shame with that either, because the shame will just continue the cycle of the emotional eating. So if you're doing it and you're eating and you know you're emotionally eating, just try to limit the inner self-talk or the negative self-talk that you're doing and to let go of the shame and to let go of the feeling that like, and judgment that like somehow you're doing something wrong. Give yourself permission to do what you need to do and to feel the feeling. That's okay. Because accepting all of this is really going to help you in the long run. Because I think what we do is we beat ourselves up and then we put like into categories of like, this is good food and this is bad food and I'm weak and I'm all these things. And it just keeps triggering the emotional response and the cycle of the emotional eating. So, you know, it's just kind of like it's over and let's just start anew. And that whatever that happens, or if you had an, a time that you're eating because you're tired, that's okay. And in the long run, that will help you identify what will work for you in terms of replacing food with something else. Because that's what it is about when it comes to emotional environment. Typically, you want to identify the behavior and then to try to see that it's happening and then try to replace it with a behavior that's non-food based. But you need to kind of first know that you're doing it and that the behavior exists in order for you to figure out the approach that would be non-food related that you could do instead. And then when it comes to physical environment, this would be like things like work or, you know, your space at home or for whoever's going out to eat, just keeping yourself protected and true to your goals when you go out to eat. I think a lot of us rely on willpower and self-control that we're going to be able to like resist food when we see it. So instead of relying on that, which is probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be much more difficult once you feel an emotion or see a food. What may work better would be to change the environment to help you minimize anything that could come up or any triggers that can come up. You want to make your environment as supportive as possible so that it can be conducive to achieving the goals that you've set for yourself, whatever they may be. So when it comes to things like eating or or if something is your goal of like eating better, you don't really want to buy or have things in the house that you know may trigger you to overeat when that emotion that you're going through comes on. So I don't know about you, but I've done this in the past and I do it where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get those potato chips because I just like to have them in the house, but I'm really not going to eat them. But in the back of my mind, if I really listened, I know that when things get tough, I'm going to eat those potato chips because they're going to make me feel pretty great for a couple minutes when I eat them. So, you know, it's not to say that you don't have to have it in the house because certainly if you have kids or you have grandkids or you, you know, you feel like you need to have it in the house, don't have it that it's in your eyesight, kind of keep it away. So for me, again, it's potato chips or chocolate chip cookies. I'm not going to go and keep those things on the counter because the moment I feel stressed or tired, I'm going to eat them because they're the easiest things for me to see. So if you're going to have them in the house, tuck them away. If you have a pantry that that's not in eyesight, put them away so that you don't feel like you're depriving your kids. But then also 
it's not going to be something that you think of or see that you're responding to when it comes to whatever emotion that you're feeling. It's a way of protecting you so that you can achieve the goals that you want. Another one that we've talked about before is use like smaller plates with your meals. Often, once you put food in front of you, that often becomes the portion size. And so why I say to put things on smaller plates is, is that after the food is consumed, you have the choice to decide, am I really hungry or am I just eating because the food's in front of me? They're two very different things. So it's totally fine if you go back up and get other food, no matter how you feel, but it's just that you become aware of if you're hungry or not. It's just the way that you can become more in tune of what's going on in your body. Also, you know, instead of having potato chips out and sitting on the counter, maybe you have foods that are healthier that you keep more visible to you. So if your goal is to increase your fruits and veggies, that would be the things that I kind of have out on the counter. I would have bowls of fruit or or veggies kind of sitting out because they're the things that if you're going through that phase of or an emotion, you can kind of go to those things. It's a way that you're supporting yourself in that environment. Not depriving yourself of what you want. We just talked about that. But knowing that if you really truly want something and you enjoy something, then eat it. Just put it on a plate. Don't just eat it. Like for me with the potato chips, if I, if I don't plate it, I'm just going to sit there and eat the bag. And then I'm going to be focused on, oh God, how could there have been six servings and I there's only a quarter of the bag left, right? How many of you have been there? So plate it so that you know, it's, I'm not saying to put it on a plate so that you can measure out the serving size. I'm saying plate it, put it somewhere or in a bowl so that you can visually see the amount that you're eating. And then you can choose A, if you're still hungry to keep eating or B, if you're emotionally hungry, that you're keep eating. But at least you'll be able to differentiate a little bit more if you're hungry or if you're not. Trying to avoid or minimize any distractions. So this could be like eating in your car. You know, I have a habit of eating goldfish when I'm driving, which is, you know, not at all mindful and not at all protected of my physical environment. So I don't know if you do things like that. It could be like you're eating while you're watching TV or you're eating in front of the computer. Minimizing those distractions and being more mindful is a way that you can protect yourself so that you can achieve the goals that you want. But also it will help you in all of these things that I'm talking about. It's a way that you can really start to figure out if you're truly hungry or if you're emotionally eating. And you're not going to know that unless you pay attention to it. So one way to do that is to minimize the distraction when it comes to food. You know, if you're somebody who's still going to work, try to create a work environment that's really supportive to your health goals. Work can be terrible with parties and food constantly being around. And it's very hard when you're in that situation, I think, for a lot of people to resist that. Because again, we're relying on willpower. And so perhaps maybe we can protect ourselves so that it never gets to the point that we do have to rely on willpower, which probably isn't going to work for the reasons that I talked about with the dopamine response. But maybe have things like snacks that are like more in line with what your goals are, like cheese sticks or yogurt or portion size goodies. Maybe having those things around so that you can rely on them instead of eating whatever is around you. And if you're somebody who has like a candy bowl in your desk, maybe fill it 
with things that you don't particularly like, especially during times that you're stressed, because most people tend to be stressed at work, or put it somewhere else. And so one thing that I find to be really helpful is to write down what you eat. And we've talked about this in the past, and nobody really likes to write down what they eat. But the goal isn't to like add up the calories of what you're eating. The goal is just to see what you're consuming and to kind of write next to it, like if you have an emotion that's involved with it. So for instance, if I'm eating, I know that when I typically tend to feel like I want to treat is after my lunch and my dinner. So if I wrote down at that meal, like, oh, I had some Hershey kisses. What's helpful for me to identify if I'm hungry or emotionally eating is to just kind of think about like, okay, what's going on? So I'll write down the food. Yeah, I ate Hershey kisses. What was I feeling? Well, I was really stressed. And then try to figure out an approach that's non-food related that could help me maybe manage that. So I'm not like eating the whole bowl of, you know, Hershey kisses. And that could be like the, you know, the non-food alternative could be like just getting up and walking around my office. And then this is where the hunger scale can be really helpful is that if you're eating things that you know are your trigger foods, trying to figure out if you're actually hungry, looking at the hunger scale and figuring out, okay, I'm eating these Hershey kisses because I'm hungry or I'm eating them because I'm really stressed. They're two entirely different things. Both are okay. I'm not putting judgment on it, but in order for you to be successful with your long-term goals, if health is one of them, it's going to be really important to differentiate that because if you don't get to the root of what the emotion is, then it's going to be very hard to change the emotional eating. And if having a healthy lifestyle is one of your goals, you know, you may go a couple of weeks that you do really great and you feel like you're not emotionally eating, but those behaviors have been around for a very long time for many of us. It's not like these emotional eating and triggers are new. Typically they've been formed over the course of our lifetime and they take time to really weed through and get to the root of it. So I think the first thing is acknowledging what the emotion is and then trying to figure out if there's an approach that may work better to kind of help you get some long-term sense of relief to that emotion. This process takes some time, but be patient. The more you practice noticing the behavior or the feeling behind the emotion, the easier the whole, you know, health journey becomes. And to listen to what your body is telling you, you are the expert on you. You know, you know, a lot of us don't want to deal with, oh, I'm eating because of this, but you know you. So, you know, if you don't really want to go, if you, if you don't feel like you're ready to really go to that place, because you know, it's going to unlock some emotions, maybe you just start by first writing down the food and writing the emotion that you feel and then writing if you're hungry or not. And if it's something that you do want to tap into the emotional eating, you know, you know how I all how you all know how I feel about therapy. I find that there's such a benefit in it. And especially when it comes to emotional eating, I've seen so many of my patients really benefit from, you know, not only working with a dietitian but working with a therapist too because a lot of times there's a lot of emotions that we've been suppressing for a long time that needs to be addressed. And so seek out a a therapist if that's something that you need help with, because that's what they're good at. And it's a lot to take on yourself. So you may need the additional support. 
So thanks so much for listening today. And if you, you know, if there's anything else that you, any other topics that you think would be of value, just send me an email. Again, I think this was the third time I'm telling you my email address, but I feel like I don't do it enough. So I'm going to today. My email is info at Trisha RD as in registered dietitian.com. So thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a great week and I'll see you back here next week. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Being a busy woman or mom doesn't mean that we have to give up on our health, wellness, or self-care. Together, we can take tiny, imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. You can find us at wholehealthempower.com or on Instagram at wholehealthempower. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.